God's word. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for that introduction. I'm so grateful to be here with you all this morning. Um, I've been to Proclaim once before, and we were in that barn over there. Um, but I'm grateful to be outside. It's beautiful out here. Uh, this is a really cool environment you guys have. Uh, but as Stephen said, I'm serving currently over at Mill Creek, and I'm hoping someday to be a pastor. But a little bit about me. Before I started pursuing pastoral ministry, I spent most of my life as a wrestler. Ever since I was eight years old, I started wrestling. And by the time I was 10, I had this dream of wrestling in the Olympics. I remember seeing Rulon Gardner, a big old heavyweight, uh, win the gold medal for the United States of America and hearing that anthem play as he stood on top of the podium and had that medal put around his neck. For me, that's what life was all about, getting to that pinnacle and someday being an Olympian. And when I was younger, I worked really hard. And by the time I got to my senior year in high school, I had received a full-ride scholarship to wrestle at the Olympic Training Center at Northern Michigan University. Now, as you can imagine, when I got there, my life became very regimented. Most of the time, I worked out six-plus hours a day. Usually, I was up before 5 and in bed before 9 o'clock. And in between working out, I also had to attend classes plan out meals, watch wrestling videotape, and I was constantly thinking about the sport of wrestling. But then after six years of training full-time, heading towards one single dream, I felt God calling me into ministry. And I felt God specifically call me to leave wrestling and pursue pastoring a church. And after a long time of prayer and fighting... I finally decided to submit to God's call and retire from wrestling. Now, for the first time in my life, I was free from the sport of wrestling. Everything since I had grown up had always been focused on this one single dream. I had to have this shift in mindset. But there was this weird phenomenon. Though I had left wrestling behind, I had a hard time getting my mind and my body caught up on my new lifestyle. You see, even though I was working till about 12 o'clock in the night, I usually woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And when I'd go to the grocery store, I'd find myself counting calories and, and diligently planning out meals. And on top of that, I kept waking up in the morning thinking I was late for practice. I remember one morning waking up at 6, and I was throwing things in a bag in a dead panic, and halfway out the door before I realized that I wasn't late for practice because I didn't have practice. Now, it might sound strange, but wrestling had been my lifestyle for so long. It was hard to separate my identity and my character from the sport of wrestling. Everything was tied to the sport. So it was difficult for me to figure out who I was. And as hard as that was for me, it doesn't compare anything to how the Jewish Christians felt in the first century. See, if you were a Jew, you're born under the Old Testament law. And what that means is that your entire life is structured by the law. That meant what you ate, 
how you related to people, who your friends were. Everything was based on the law. And more than that, that's where the Jews got their identity. If you were a Jew, you're one of God's chosen people. And the law proved that. But then this Jesus guy came along, and he changed everything. Now our relationship with God was not based on law, but based on grace. Now, for the first time, our, the chosen people of God was not based on ethnicity, but was based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these all seem like good things, but this caused an identity crisis for the Jewish Christians. And that's what we see as we enter into the book of Romans. For them, these Jewish Christians, they were asking the question, so what do we do with the law now? How do we relate to the Old Testament while still living under grace? And to answer that question this morning, we are going back to the book of Romans. Now, so far, if you guys have been traveling through Romans, you've seen Paul making an argument that the only way to be justified before God is by faith in Jesus Christ. But in chapter 6, we saw Paul make a shift. And in chapter 6, Paul begins to explain that now that we are justified by Jesus, now that we have this new identity, we also have a new relationship to sin. And now this morning, as we continue into chapter 7, we'll find out that not only do we have a new relationship to sin, we also have a new relationship to the law. So if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 7 and follow along as Paul points out his first point in verses 1 and 3. And his first point is death brings freedom for the law. So follow along with me here in verse 1. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now here in verse 1, we see Paul ask a question. And what he's doing is asking a question to draw their attention back to chapter 6 when he made this point. He says in 6.14 that the law no longer has dominion over our lives. Now, Paul used that point to make an argument towards sin, but now he's circling back around to explain to us why the law no longer has dominion over our lives. And this is a crucial point for the Roman church. As I've already stated, there was a group of Jewish Christians, and these Jewish Christians had a misunderstanding of what God's law meant to their lives as Christians. You see, these Jews were committed to following Jesus, but at the same time, they were also committed to living underneath the law. They thought the gospel message was Jesus plus the law, as if Jesus came into our lives and covered up the areas where we are failing. But the problem is, each and every one of us fail the law everywhere. If we fail the law in one single place, we fail the law in every place. So that means the gospel isn't Jesus plus the law. The gospel is Jesus alone. And for us modern Christians, we may have a hard time relating to the struggle. I'm not a Jew. I don't know what it means to be Jewish and have this pressure of the law living over my life. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that we too struggle with a works-based righteousness. 
Oftentimes I hear people in the church describing their relationship with God as a sort of ebb and flow. If I'm reading my Bible enough and praying enough and and paying attention to the sermon in church, then I'm really close to God. I hear people say a lot of times that you need to get right with God. But what we understand in the book of Romans and what we see all throughout the New Testament is that we don't need to get right with God when we're Christians because Jesus already secured our righteousness. Jesus already took care of our relationship with God. As Paul has been explaining throughout Romans, our entire relationship with God in heaven is based on Jesus. And we start to fall into this understanding that our relationship ebbs and flows with our actions, we fall into the same sort of legalism that plagued the Roman church. And what we have to understand is now that we've been freed by grace, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are no longer living under a law of works, but a law of grace. A law that is not based on our actions, but is based on the actions of Jesus Christ. And now that we're living under grace, we need a new understanding of the do's and don'ts of Scripture. And that's why Paul goes on to use this analogy in verses 2 and 3. He says, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband lives. But... If her husband dies, she is free from that law, and, she, and if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. Now, to make his point, Paul is using the analogy of marriage to describe why the law no longer has a hold of our lives. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this analogy. I don't like thinking that my wife is only bound to me by the law, and maybe you guys are with me. But we have to put ourselves in the shoes of a first century Jewish woman. You see, if you were a Jewish woman in the first century, you had zero say over who you were going to marry. On top of that, once you got married, you didn't have the ability to ask for a divorce. See, in Jewish culture, divorce was a right only reserved for men. That meant if you were a woman and you were married, You were all in for better or for worse. You were legally bound to your husband, and there's nothing you could do about it. But that's not the only reason Paul chooses this analogy. You see, marriage can be defined as a covenant. And basically, a covenant is a sacred bond between two parties that's established by the swearing of an oath. And what that means is that A covenant is both a legal agreement and it's a relationship that is sealed by a promise. So we have both law and promise. And as we journey through the Old Testament, we see the same sort of relationship uh, description describing the relationship between God and the people of Israel. All the way back in the book of Exodus, after God rescued Israel from slavery, we, say, we see God give Israel a covenant promise. He tells them that you will be my people and I will be your God. God promises to bless Israel, but he also tells them that they have to be holy, just as he is holy. 
And that's where the law comes in. You see, the law acts as a sort of measuring rod. It was a standard of holiness that reflected the character of God. And the people of Israel were called to live up to that standard. If you were a Jew, you had to keep the law in order to be holy. And that's where the issue came in for Israel. You see, they constantly failed to live up to God's standard. We see this covenant relationship in the Old Testament described as a marriage. And all throughout the Bible, as we describe this marriage, we see God as the faithful, loving husband. But then we have Israel as the wife who's constantly chasing after adultery. And on top of that, even when Israel tried to live up to God's standards, they constantly failed. So at the best of times, they were living up to a standard that they could never keep. And at the worst of times, they were actively provoking the anger of a God who loved them. You see, it was impossible for Israel to keep the law. And for us, again, it's hard to put ourselves into their shoes But we have to realize that we too strive after a righteousness that we can't achieve. And for all of us, whether we're in Christ or not, we as humans tend to create standards for ourselves that we can't keep. We call these standards moral codes. And for us, we either base these on our family values or the society around us. For some of us, we base them on sports or even religion. But for all of us, we use these moral codes to convince ourselves that we are good people. But the problem is that the Bible says that we are not good people. Each and every one of us are constantly failing to live up not only to the standard of God, but also to the standards that we set for ourselves. And as Paul has been trying to tell us over and over and over again, when we try to become righteous by our own actions, we are living in futility. We're chasing after something that we could never achieve. And as we live under these standards, we have the pressure of trying to live up to the people around us, whether that's family or society. We can't live up to these standards. As children, we're told that not only do we have to have fun and figure out who we are, but we also have to get our whole lives figured out. When we grow older and get jobs, we have to climb the corporate ladder. We have to be in the right job with the right position, making the right amount of money, and then we become parents. And not only do you have to chase after these work standards, but you also have to raise the perfect children you got to be giving them the perfect kind of love. you got to be caring for them the right way. And we have these, all these pressures surrounding us that are ever-changing. And we can never, ever live up to these standards. That's the pressure that the Jews felt underneath the law. But we learn in the Bible is when we're chasing after righteousness... We're chasing something that God has already sealed for us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he sealed our righteousness. And we believe in Jesus and start acting like we can gain our own righteousness. 
We're chasing after something we've already gained. It's like trying to buy a house that we've already paid for. It's futile and it makes zero sense. That's why Paul goes on to make his second point. He says, you have, uh, his second point is that you have died to the law and belong to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse four to say this. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead and that in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now here we see Paul drawing a conclusion to a point that he made in the first three verses. If you have died, the law no longer has power over your life. Now, as we read through the New Testament, we see over and over again that our relationship with Jesus starts with our death. We die so that the law no longer has hold over our lives. And that's what Paul said back in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. So Paul says here that we've been baptized or immersed into the death of Jesus. And what that means is that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. And we died so that we could take on the life of Jesus. In our former lives, we were bound or married to the sinfulness of our flesh. We were bound to a, a flesh that was constantly striving after a righteousness that it would never receive. But when we were baptized into Jesus, it was our sinfulness that died with him on the cross so that we may now live to the good and perfect righteousness of Jesus. And now for us that we've come under Jesus, now we come under a new law and a new covenant. A covenant that's not based on our actions. A covenant that's not based on our works, but is based on the grace that Jesus sealed for us on the cross. And what we have to realize is that that has always been God's plan for our lives. God never intended us for us to achieve his righteousness. He knows that we can't be holy by our own actions. And that's why God made this promise Back in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their inequities, and I will remember their sins no more. But what we see here is that in this new covenant, 
We are no longer striving after a relationship with God. But in this new covenant, we belong to Jesus. We belong to the very son of the creator of all of heaven and earth. In this new covenant, we're not trying to gain righteousness. We're no longer living under the judgment of the works that we cannot achieve. But in this new covenant, we are freely living in the works that Jesus achieved for us. In this new covenant, now that we've been brought into Jesus, we've also been brought into a new purpose, a purpose that has been freed for us by the works of Jesus on the cross. And that's what Paul goes on uh, to say here in verse number five. I'm sorry, that's what Paul says here back in verse number four. Paul explains that our new purpose in Jesus is to bear fruit for God. And now Paul's not going to get too much into explaining that here in chapter seven. But as you guys continue in the book of Romans, you'll find that Paul dives into what it means to bear fruit for God. But as we'll see here in verse five, that Paul is going to make a contrast between the fruit we bore in our old life and the fruit that we now bear in Jesus. He says this, for while you were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. As Paul explains here, in our old life, we were sins to our own sinful desires. We chased after sin because we were sinners. But then when sin came into the world, though it was supposed to be a measurement of righteousness, though it was supposed to point us to holiness in the character of God, all it did was give us new ways to keep on sinning. And that's what Paul said back in chapter 5. He said the law came in to increase the trespasses. And what he means by that is that when there are more rules, there are more ways to break the rules. And for us sinful people, when there's more rules surrounding us, we're going to find more ways to sin. When God gives us more commandments and more works that we have to complete, we are going to fall further and further from God's glory. And the truth is, the law is a good thing. It was never meant to be this evil thing that hung over us and punished us for our evil deeds. The law is meant to reveal the character of God. It's meant to point to who God is. But for us to try to live up to the righteous standard of the law is like trying to swim up river. We've got too much sinfulness and brokenness in our own hearts to ever gain any ground. We cannot be righteous by our own actions. And that's what the Jewish Christians failed to realize. You see, they thought that they were following the Old Testament law well. But in reality, they were following a hollowed out version of the law. You see, they they took the law and they took out all the things that were difficult. And they started to create for themselves their own human standard. And while they thought they were being good people, they were failing to serve God the way God called them to serve God. And that's the reality of all human striving. And I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
If you have not made a response to Jesus, you cannot be a good person by your own actions. We have the habit as human beings to compare ourselves to the worst of the worst and think, I'm a pretty good person. But the question is not whether we're better than murderers or thieves. The question is, are we good enough to overcome death? The honest answer is that no one can take on that responsibility. No one but Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Jesus died on the cross for our own sinfulness. And Jesus is the only one who can and did overcome death. And as Paul says, once we are baptized into his death, we are also baptized into his resurrection. In Jesus, we can have new life. And as we come into Jesus, we can't go on serving God in the old way. We can't keep on bearing fruit by our own actions that lead to death. But when we enter into Jesus and follow Jesus, we begin to bear fruit for life. And the life that we bear in Jesus is the good and perfect righteousness that he lived in his life. In Jesus, we've been given a new opportunity not to squander it by trying to gain what we've already earned, but to freely live in his goodness and his righteousness. And that's what Paul goes on to say here in verse six. He says, now we are released from the law, having died to which that, uh, that which held us captive, so that we may serve God in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, the gospel message is that we've been brought from one reality to another. We've been brought out of a reality that was careening towards death to a reality that is secured in life. We've been brought into a new reality where we serve God, not by our actions, but by the actions of Jesus that are poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has given us. When we become Christians, we are no longer working by our own efforts, but we are working by the efforts of Jesus. No longer do we have to look at a list of do's and don'ts that we will never live up to, but we are putting on Christ who died for us, who loved us, and who fulfills the righteousness of God. You know, when I think back at my time as a wrestler, I realized that I didn't just feel guilt after I retired. But as I was striving towards my dream, I constantly felt like I wasn't working hard enough. And for me, the only real measuring rod I had to, to gauge whether I fulfilled my dreams or not was becoming an Olympian. Either I fulfilled that dream or I failed. And so every day as I chased down that hope that I had when I was 10 years old, I was constantly failing. I was constantly falling short of where I dreamed to be, and I always felt like I needed to give more. And there wasn't enough to give. But when I stepped away from the sport, 
And I started to discover this new life. I started to discover freedom. No longer was I chasing after something that I felt in my heart I was never going to receive. But I was living in the good and perfect will of God who had already given me everything. Now that we're in Jesus, we no longer have to feel the guilt of not living up to the standards around us. Now that we're in Christ, we no longer have to feel this pressure that one action will make us fall out of the holiness of God. Because it's not about you and I. It's not about our actions. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the reality is, as we continue to live in these sinful bodies, we still want to adhere to the comforts of our former lives. But Paul's point this morning is don't go back. Don't go back to living under the pressure of having to achieve something you'll never gain. And it sounds foolish to want to go back to that sort of guilt. But we fall into that temptation. You'll remember back in the book of Exodus that when Israel was wandering through the wilderness, they constantly wanted to keep going back to Egypt. They said, at least in Egypt, we had food to eat. We had a place to live. But what they failed to remember is that in Egypt, they were slaves and their children were dying. It may feel comfortable at times to feel like we have some role in our own righteousness. But this is a trap that only leads to death. Now, as we put on Jesus, we get to freely take part in his character. We get to freely put on, knowing that all these sins that we commit in the flesh have already been taken care of. And we can feel the freedom that grace has given us. And for us, our hope and our confidence is not looking here and seeing our actions, but looking forward to the day when we will someday stand before Jesus. The day when we will be welcomed into the church as the bride of Christ. There when we will walk down the aisle, knowing that on that altar, there is one who has died for us, who has given his life for us, and is not going to judge you based on the things that you've done right and done wrong. But he'll say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Not because our actions are good, because, but because Jesus was good enough for us. We have freedom in Jesus. And we, once we've made that profession of faith, that freedom can go nowhere.